Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast, presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, is my partner in crime. You know him and love him. Is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, I don't know if it was a jinx, maybe, from the Adam Gotsis <laughs> article, or maybe it was Adam Gotsis himself that jinxed it, but... The dam finally broke. The first fight erupted at Broncos camp on day six. Yeah, and given my history, I would tend to lean toward it being a jinx on my part. But, you know, these are inevitable, as I wrote in the story. It happens in every NFL city every summer. You know, the heat, the monotonous exercises, getting hit and, and hitting day in and day out, it just wears on you. And it was unavoidable. Gotts has talked about how the culture change is different in Dove Valley now compared to when Vance Joseph was here. And, and to Vic Fangio's credit, he has removed a lot of that stench from last year. But these things, like I said, it's just unavoidable. And two of the the people in the trenches is the people that you expect most to get into this fight. That was Derek Wolf and Connor McGovern. Two of the big, hulking, kind of take-no-BS, uh, you know, big mollies in there in the trenches. They got into it today. But it was just a, you know, it's a heat-of-the-moment type thing, and I'm not too worried about it, even though Vic Fangio does not like it at all. Yeah. Yeah, the first one broke out, and then within minutes, another one began to erupt, and then Fangio jumped in there and snuffed it out before it could get out of hand. But, I mean, it's par for the course, and even when Derek Wolf was at the podium a couple days back, he was like, you know, yeah, it's kind of surprising one hasn't happened yet. But, And if you talk to most players, they'll tell you that it's not so much the physicality of football or the, you know, the all the testosterone flying around. What usually snaps, guys, is when it gets hot. And sure enough, on Wednesday, day six, instead of practicing earlier in the day when it's a little bit cooler, Fangio chose to roll them out in the middle of the afternoon where you're 90 degrees and and hotter, basically, there in Inglewood, Colorado. So I think maybe the heat had a little something to do with it as well. 
Of course. I mean, it's, this is the dog days of summer right now, and it didn't rain this afternoon. It's just very hot and high humidity, and it's tough. You wear all those pads, and it's heavy. you're sweating, you're tired, you're aching even after a day off, and you're hitting guys constantly. It's inevitable, and I'm not surprised these players went at it. I'm happy, though, that they have a, a coach in Vic Fangio who does not look past these things, who wants to break it up and did break it up himself and then went into his press conference and just admonished these players, and they said it can't happen. It's one goal, and they it's these death by inches are things he's hoping to avoid. So unlike Vance Joseph, where I felt like he enabled that club med, very buddy-buddy system with his players, Fangio does not do that. And I would be surprised if there's another fight uh, throughout the majority of, you know, the duration of training camp. Yeah, and if it does, I mean, it's just football. You know, it's just yeah. gonna, it's just guys throwing their bodies around in the heat, physicality, hitting, popping, and you know, stuff's going to happen, but uh, we got a lot to get to today. We're going to go through some of the news and notes of day six, as well as an interesting story that popped up over the day off about Noah Fant. But first, you guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Why? That is the best way for you to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time, at HuddleUpPod. If you're on iTunes we or, or Apple Podcasts, I guess they call it now, Zach, we'd appreciate it if you leave us a creative review and a five-star rating if you like what you hear. And if you're on YouTube, don't forget to like and comment before you exit out on this episode. All right, Zach, before we dive into the events of Day 6, or more so on the events of Day 6, I want to talk about and see if you saw this story on uh, Noah Fant that we published late Tuesday and basically what happened was I got pinged by uh, Benjamin Albright to check this out. You know, there's been some, uh, how can we put it, some criticism that's been leveled at Noah Fant over the you know first five days of practice, whether it be from lack of conditioning perhaps, you know, being a little bit out of shape. I interpret that to be maybe more an altitude thing that he's acclimating to being told by and this is from people on site observing watching practice early on especially in camp Noah Fant had his wide receiver teammates the veterans getting after him for not finishing plays and just not hustling and you know giving a hundred percent basically little time goes on and then he steps to the podium whatever that was Zach I think it was Monday and basically what he said was that the the full quote well actually I won't read the full quote it's a little bit long basically what he said is that with regard to his expectations you know he's a first round pick and all that he said that his internal expectations for himself are quote pretty high and that he doesn't really quote feel pressure from everyone else well, that didn't sit right with a particular Denver radio host, Nick Ferguson, who's a great dude, by the way. And uh, he's got a show in the morning on 104.3 The Fan. He kind of went after Fant a little bit, saying that, you know, if you're not feeling pressure, if you're not feeling expectations or whatever, something's wrong with you. Well, on Tuesday, Fant appeared on Broncos Country Tonight, which is Benjamin Albright's new show on KOA. And I want to read this quote really quick, Zach, and then I want to fire this over to you because I think maybe a lot of our listeners, this will be of interest to you. He said, quote, this was on KOA. I'd say those takes are pretty bogus, Noah Fant said. If you read the whole quote that I said, it's that my expectations for myself are so high that I'm going to have a whole bunch more pressure on myself than the coaches might have expectations on me. I want to be one of the all-time greats, and I have all those goals for myself. Of course there's pressure coming in as a first-round pick. There's pressure coming in being a rookie, and there's pressure to win games. I feel all of those pressures, but the pressure I add on myself is going to be leaps and bounds over that. Obviously there's pressure, but as a player, you don't want to play with pressure on your mind. You want to play freely and perform. 
so you can go get those wins and help your teammates. I definitely think that narrative is getting twisted, and it's almost like he doesn't feel any pressure at all or I'm comfortable and things like that. By no means am I comfortable, and every day I'm out there pushing myself in practice, trying to become a starter and a great tight end in the NFL. I definitely feel pressure, but it's not something I'm going to let define me. I want to play I want my play, rather, to be so great that there is really no pressure felt, close quote. So, Zach, I think this is worth talking about just because it's kind of an inauspicious start, if you think about it, for a player who was selected number 20 overall in the first round with a lot of fanfare. Fans have been really excited about Noah Fant, but he's kind of landed with a dud thus far. Uh, but the, the realistic fans... And I guess I would say the smart fans would have realized that he was kind of a project. He wasn't an immediate pro bowler as some outlets pegged him to be. His biggest contributions, like we've been saying tonight on the pod, are probably going to come in 2020 and beyond. That being said, though, uh, whatever brought this on, you have to consider the source, I would say. And uh, and the fan, they kind of love to stir these takes and stir these these headlines up. But fans, right. I mean, he came in and he knows the expectations. He knows he could be the best Broncos tight end since Shannon Sharp, certainly the best since Julius Thomas. He can be a pro bowler. He can contribute in this offense nicely with, with Joe Flacco. But he has to earn it. He has to prove himself. Uh, Vic Fangio called him out twice this offseason. One time he said he can go on Home Depot and come out with tools. Doesn't make him a carpenter. And he's right. I mean, Fangio has to put it all together. But when he does, and he will, he will be a good player. And I think he he took an, uh, the a high road here by kind of deferring to him being a team player and realizing the expectations that he had. But he also defended himself. And he's not going to be sit by and ugly by even though he's a first-round pick, even though he's a rookie, even though he has a lot to prove and he hasn't paid his dues yet, just to be attacked on all sides here when these these opinions are, I don't want to say wrong, but they're kind of misguided. So I believe Fan is in the right here, and I like the mindset that he's had. Even if he's got a slow start, you want to see him get these mistakes out of the way now. You don't want him dropping passes or being shy or tentative in the regular season. He is a raw player who's struggling in training camp. It's not much of a surprise. Yeah, and it's going to take time. It's similar to the trope that we have had to tamp down, Zach and I, over the last week of you know, all the hand-wringing over the Broncos' offense. It's a similar thing with regard to Noah Fant. And, you know, you just got to give it time to percolate. You got to give him time to settle in, get into a groove. I mean, not only is he acclimating to life as a pro in terms of all the – I mean, you got to remember, these kids come from college, and their time playing football is very closely and strictly reg- uh, regulated – they have to balance football with social lives. They're schooling. A lot of them work jobs. Most of them don't if they're playing football, but some of them do. And now all of a sudden, they, they in the matter of a selection going on draft night, they are all the time 100% full-time football. It's everything football. And it takes time to kind of catch up to that. And if, if there's any aspect of your personality that's not on a level from a maturity perspective, and I'm not saying fancy immature, I'm just saying if you're not like rip-roaring ready to go, you might think you know what the NFL has in store, what the expectations might be, but until you're there, you don't really know. And at this stage, Zach, Noah Fant is fully realizing that as a first-round pick, this is what he wanted. He stood up there at the podium and told us at the Combine that, you know, I believe I'm the best tight end. I deserve to be a first-round pick. I expect to be a first-round pick. And, you know, maybe he didn't quite realize some of the scrutiny and expectations that came with that. 
and now it's a you know it's a, it's a rude awakening if for some reason he missed that possibility. But you really need to pump the brakes, fans who are who are tripping on Noah Fant, not just blowing the doors down out of the gates, and also factor in that the offense is still working out its kinks. So it's not like he's being grafted into an already well-oiled machine. Everybody's right. kind of playing a little bit right. of catch up at this stage. And Zach. He's buried on a depth chart that is featuring quite a few standouts. I mean, if you go back and look at the the 10 studs and duds article that I published on Tuesday, I think two of them were tight ends. I mean, you got Troy Fumagalli been showing out when he's on the field. And then also the other rookie, Austin Fort. And that's to say nothing of the veteran, Jeff Hireman. And so Fant's trying to fit in where he gets in. And, and at this stage, it just hasn't all been smooth sailing. But let's wait till we see him in a game. Let's wait till we see him, you know, against some outside competition. And frankly, let's wait till we see him in the regular season. Like, I'm not even stressing on this. Right. And that's a great point, Chad, because even Joe Flacco is making mistakes every day and he's 34 years old. So what you can't make the same excuses that he's transitioning with this team. The whole Broncos offense has looked bad and disjointed at times and, and lagging behind the defense. And Fant has been the biggest uh, benefactor of that futility. He's going to be a raw player. He was used to kind of sharing the spotlight in college. And now he's uh, having the expectation of being the man, being the guy, the tight end one. He came into a good situation, but it's a logjam right there. He has to beat out three veteran players. And between the new offensive coaches, including a new tight end coach, and all the struggles they've had in training camp, I mean, what it was already going to be a slow start is now going to be delayed even further. Uh, and, and until that gets going, and he's going he's gonna to be the last priority when the offense gets it's clicking. But once he does and once those ingredients come together, just like Drew Locke, just like Draymond Jones in this draft class, they really have a player on their hands. I do like that he called, you know, he fired back at least and said, you know, that's a bogus take. That's BS. I like that. You know, it does show some fire, does show some, you know, some uh, pride in what he's doing. So let's turn the page. And in fact, speaking of Drew Locke, Drew Locke was the first player out on the field on day six of training camp, which I think is kind of cool just because of the symbolism of it. I mean, the last quarterback John Elway drafted high was Paxton Lynch. He wasn't known for ever being the first guy on the field, but he was known, Zach, as being the first guy off the field. You know, he was the first guy to head for the locker room. So it's good to see Drew Locke. Maybe he was a little bit excited at the possibility of seeing a future Hall of Fame quarterback and Peyton Manning maybe being out on the field. Perhaps a little birdie told him he might be in attendance. Also, you know, they're coming off a day off and he's had a chance, his full time to catch his breath for the first time since training camp started and maybe read some of those articles, Chad, that weren't too flattering about his turnovers in the Broncos offense and that he's struggling to beat up Kevin Hogan right now. So he wanted a chance to step up and show that he can be a leader. And it's not it can never hurt him or hurt his his value to the team. It can only impress the coaches. But it's not going to win the job. He still has to go on the field and perform and perform consistently and create a gap between him and Hogan. And so far in, in Wednesday's practice, it didn't happen. The offense, again, you know, all the all the units were pretty, uh, you know, mediocre. and The defense won the day. But until he separates himself, he can show all the leadership he wants, Chad. But he has to win it with his, his brain and his arm combined together on the field. We're basically one week away from the Denver Broncos playing some outside competition. You know, that's going to be August 1st, the Hall of Fame game. The Broncos will take on the Atlanta Falcons. And, you know, basically I'm reserving all judgment on on my first, you know, um, 
opinions, impressions of Drew Locke until I see him against some outside competition, until I see him in a, a competitive environment in which the ante has been upped a little bit. So, you know, let's uh, let's let them get through these practices, get them under their belt, including Locke, including Fant, and uh, look forward to seeing them throw down August 1st in the Hall of Fame game. Now, we still have a couple other big topics we want to get to that took place, news and notes from day six. First, though, you guys, we'll take just a really quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Zach. Finally, 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 Emmanuel Sanders, the the training wheels at least have come off. And by that, I mean the first five practices at camp. Of course, Sanders was in attendance. He was there. He was practicing, but it was only in individual drills. He's been held out of any form of team drills. But fortunately, on day six, he was allowed to participate limited in seven on seven. Now, that's basically for those who don't know, you got seven on a se- on seven, you got 11 on 11 when it comes to team period. Seven on seven is usually reserved. Basically, it's there to practice the passing game. So, of course, it makes more sense that if he's going to participate, if they're going to start him out slow in team period, they're going to put him in on seven on seven. Whereas 11 on 11, you're going to see really the full scope of the offense. It's going to include rushing plays. And obviously, it gets a little dicier for a player bouncing back or recovering from an injury, Zach, because, you know, you got players flying around in a team drill that are, could be anywhere at any given time. And, and so the risk is a little bit higher, but it was good to see him out there. Apparently, he dove and caught his first pass of the day in 7-on-7. Seven seven. And, and that's what really stood out to me. I mean, you're talking about a 32-year-old player less than eight months removed from tearing his Achilles. He's out there at practice diving for passes. What a remarkable comeback, Chad. I mean, for a guy who was being counted out by even pro football doctors, by media members, uh, I'm sure by some of his teammates were in their minds maybe doubting his impact, sort of like how Demarius Thomas faded out of the league last year. Uh, but he's proved everyone wrong. He even looks better than ever, and he looks just as, as explosive as he was. And I like what he said in his post-practice interview. As good as he looks and as encouraging as it is, he's still cautiously optimistic. He's not making any promises. He's not guaranteeing anything. So it's it puts him in a win-win situation. You know, if he comes back slow, he can say, listen, I never put a date on it. But if he comes back ahead of schedule, makes an impact right away, which I think he will, he can say, you know, that was my work ethic. That's how I want to bring to this team. He's angling for a new deal, too. I mean, he's angling for a future, be it with the Broncos or elsewhere. He has a chip on his shoulder. He's the offensive version of Chris Harris Jr. in that sense. But everything we've seen so far and the way the Broncos are bringing him along slowly and not you know, willing to uh, aggravate his injury, it's just very encouraging. I mean, the offense just looks different when he's not on the field. Oh, yeah. he, I mean, they haven't won a game, the Broncos, since he got hurt. I mean, think about that. There's a reason why that offense suddenly ground to a halt, even with Phillip Lindsay. I mean, basically, once Sanders was lost last year, now granted, I get it was with a different offensive coordinator and a very uninspired offensive coordinator, I might add, and a lackluster quarterback. But at that point, opposing defenses, they would just stack the box, take away Phillip Lindsay and Royce Freeman, and dare Case Keenum to, to throw the football. And meanwhile, as they were doing that, they'd play tight coverage on the outside and force Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, Deshaun Hamilton to try and create some separation off the line of scrimmage and for three inexperienced young players and not really playing with a upper echelon experienced quarterback. It was just, you know, they were, they were stuck in neutral. So hopefully I think, you know, the Broncos, we don't know for sure as a play caller, but I'm a lot more confident in the offense Scangarello is bringing to the table. I mean, 
everybody I've talked to as far as former players who who go back to the Shanahan days, they say this offense they're seeing out on the field looks basically it's the exact same as what they were used to playing under Mike Shanahan. And that makes sense because it's Kyle Shanahan's offense is what Rich Gangarello is bringing back to, to Broncos uh, HQ. So I, I have more faith that this offense, Zach, is going to be good or better than what Musgrave put together last year for a lot of reasons, but just based on scheme. But the truth is we don't know yet what kind of a play caller Rich Gangarello is and what kind of chops he might have bring, uh, be able to bring to the table. He'll be more than this, but even if Sanders is just a decoy this year, Chad, on the outside, he'll be able to help this team. I mean, he's still their resident speed demon. He's their, he's their lid lifter, their game breaker, and he has his speed was preserved after the injury and his explosiveness as athleticness. If he can bring that to the table, I mean, he's a perfect complement to Sutton and Patrick and Hamilton and all these Juwan Winfrey, all these big possession guys. He's that speed guy. I think he'll be a big contributor this year. I don't know about a thousand yards. I don't know about a Pro Bowler. Uh, but, you know, he'll have a, a, a function in this Broncos offense. And Skangarello, of course, he will open up the playbook more. How many times did we say to each other last year, Chad, why are they playing so horizontally? Why are they playing so tentatively, so scared, conservatively? I don't think we'll have those issues with Skangarello in charge this year. For what it's worth, on the wide receiver front, the drops issue that the team has been suffering from wasn't quite as bad. There were a couple of drops, from what I've been told, on, on day six. Benjamin Albright told me that Brendan Langley, for example, had a really egregious drop. But the general perception was that has been, uh, you know, that day off helped in terms of maybe calming some of the camp jitters for these young receivers who have been dropping way too many passes and just not doing their part to help this offense, you know, pick up any kind of rhythm or momentum. Also, Jawan Winfrey, Zach, was uh, sidelined yet again. All indications are, though, that he's going to be good to go Thursday. And remember, he basically had a massive collision with Sua Cravens on Sunday, day four of practice. And so he missed Monday, and then he missed Wednesday. So he'll have had three consecutive days off, basically, by the time he hits the field again on Thursday. And then Deshaun Hamilton apparently suffered perhaps a little bit of a tweak on his left hammy. Yeah, I'm not worried about you know the drops, or I'm not worried about Winfrey's injury, but the Hamilton injury, based on the reports and based on the way he came out and was constantly grabbing at that hamstring and the way those nag, Chad, you know, those were very tough injuries to get over, and he was removed right away from action and, and looked kind of displeased on the sideline. So that's one thing to keep an eye on. But the other things, once camp goes on and the game start and everyone settles down, I mean, these will not even be remembered a few weeks from now. What do you make of these you know, we talked a little bit about it on the show, but what do you make of these wide receivers lower on the depth chart being given first-team reps? So, for example, we've talked about how Brendan Langley at a certain point has received first-team action at wideout, and then it was reported also on day six that the undrafted rookie Trinity Benson was given some first-team reps. I am of the opinion that I'm a little bit it's encouraging. It's great to see and all, but I don't think it means what a lot of people think it means. I think mm-hmm. at this stage, Rich Gangarello is being pretty liberal with his willingness to rotate wideouts in and out on first team. But I think they got to be careful on that. And I think that also if Emmanuel Sanders has was 100% healthy to open camp, you wouldn't see as much rotation with these wideouts going in and out on first team. But you got to be careful, I think, Zach, because – you need Joe Flacco to begin to build his rapport with whatever the you know the main wideouts he's going to be throwing to, you know, on first team maybe some second team guys. He that you know you don't want to just keep throwing 
dude after dude at him because that that chemistry is not going to come. Yeah, Fred Brown's another you know unknown guy who's been getting some first team love, but I, I agree with you, Chad. I, I would like the starting receivers to blend, you know, blend and, and grow chemistry with this quarterback. But I, I would chalk it up to the Broncos having an additional preseason game, and I would expect there to be a, a massive round of layoffs or cuts after that first game, and the Broncos kind of trim the fat down. They just have so many players right now, a couple injuries, and you know they're trying to to mix and mix and mix and match what works. And, you know, I don't really see the upside in it because a lot of these guys won't have jobs in a few weeks. But I'm ultimately with you. I'd rather give the reps to the, the first teamers and, you know, the, the first, the second, and third receivers. Yeah. I mean, in the Sanders, Demarius Thomas heyday, this wouldn't be happening. I mean, Demarius Thomas, if we can think back to last year on in that Jets game on the road, threw an absolute hissy fit to Zach Azani, the wide receivers coach, for Azani mentioning, hey, uh, we're going to sit you a little bit more Today we're gonna to actually give Deshaun Hamilton a few reps. He didn't appreciate that. He that pissed him off. So I can only imagine that you know obviously this time last year both Thomas and Sanders were healthy, and they were running first team. So one last thing I want to touch on Zach before we get out of here is, is it time to hit the panic button on Jake Butt? This is his third consecutive practice. He's now had four days in a row off. Vic Fangio, I think he called it a pothole in terms of he's hit a mm-hmm. pothole in his recovery. Let's just call it what it is. He's suffered some sort of a setback. And is it time, in your opinion, to hit that panic button with regard to any expectation that Jake Butt's going to be able to really contribute this summer and, you know, make the 53-man roster in earnest coming out of camp? Chad, I've been smashing the panic button since he suffered his injury for the third time in his career. I I doubted from day one of his comeback whether he had any value or whether he could contribute at all, certainly not as a starter, and and certainly the Broncos reflected that by using a first-round pick on a tight end. Uh, But this latest setback, and he even tweeted about it, something about adversity. So it seems like I think Fangio is being kind. I think it could be something a little more severe, and anytime he misses now— there's already so many players competing for spots on this roster. If they even keep four, he had, in my opinion, an uphill battle. But now, any additional days he misses, Chad, is going to put him further behind the eight ball. And, you know, he might prove me wrong, and I want it to happen, and I want him to be a nice, successful comeback story. I, I just don't see it happening. And this this latest setback does not help. I mean, after that, after he went on Denver radio back in March and said that, you know, talked about the notches in his knee being widened and the doctors figuring out that that was an issue and scoping it out, I was at least cautiously optimistic that this would be a different turn for Jake Butt this summer. But I'm hitting that panic button. I think he's, it, it, it's looking like the best case scenario for Jake Butt is going to be perhaps like a, a pup, you know, starting the season on pup perhaps injured reserve, and then, you know, they can take a look at him eight weeks in and see if, you know, they want to activate him. But it's just it's just such a bummer because he had so much potential. And I don't want to close the door on him. I'm not doing that. But it's just not very fortuitous. He's obviously had some kind of a setback, and you just can't really afford that this time of year, especially as a guy coming off three ACL tears. And, you know, to play devil's advocate, let's assume he didn't suffer a setback and let's assume he came back. How effective would he be? And would it be enough to hold off a first round pick, hold off a veteran and hireman and hold off a better pass catcher in Fumagalli? All those players are healthy and but isn't. With this latest setback, though, Chad, it, it, I'm not. I'm rooting for him for sure. I'm not rooting against him. I hope it happens. It's unfortunate the Broncos had starting designs on him. He was a steal in the fifth round a few years ago, but one after another after another, it's just it's not realistic to expect him to come back and beat 
uh, medicine and beat modern science. It's just right. not you know realistic or feasible. Indeed. Well said, my friend. Well, we'll see how it shakes out for Jake Butt, but that's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up podcast. We'll be back tomorrow for the VIP mailbag. Those of you on Twitter, those of you on YouTube, submit your questions. You know the places to look to get your questions in. And VIPs, of course, we want to hear from you first and foremost at milehighhuddle.com. Go to the MHH Insiders Forum. There will be a thread there for you to post your questions for the mailbag on Friday. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman. 24-7 myself at Chad and Jensen. We'll be back in the saddle and uh, we'll break down day seven as well of Broncos camp. So stay tuned. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you then. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.